Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Chrissy. I'm so excited about today's episode. We're really going to take a step and look back at our MBA history and some of the great leaders that I've had the pleasure of knowing for many years and give you an opportunity to learn a little bit about how we got where we are today from a premier customer service and a safety standpoint. These individuals have played such a critical role in that effort. Without any um, further time, I want to go ahead and introduce them to you and let them start sharing their story. First, we have Marshall Rickert, Hello. who uh, was administrator from 1985 to 1995, right? And uh, the longest serving modern day administrator, correct? correct? So really mm -hmm. exciting. And uh, John Quo sitting right next to me. And John was administrator from 2006 to 2014. Mm -hmm. And Ann Farrow to my right oh, and yeah. served from 1997 to 2000. Three, glad to have you here, Wonderful Anne. Wonderful to be here. And we have remotely joining us Milt Chaffee as well. So glad to have you, Milt. And you served as administrator from 2013 to 2015. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. So I'd like Thank to you. just first have you each tell a little bit about yourself and um, you know the time you served with the state and your time as administrator, just at a high level. And then we're going to get into some of the important areas that you worked on during that time. But Marshall, if we could start with you, um, tell us you know, a little bit about your time, how you came to be MBA administrator, and then what you've been up to since then. Well, I, the first thing I have to say is I had no idea I was going to be motor vehicle administrator. Uh, I had a, a position at Maryland DOT. I was chief financial officer. I was in my dream job. And uh, I got called into the secretary's office one day and he said, uh, uh, we want you to go over to Motor Vehicle Administration for six months and figure out what's wrong with it. Uh, that was the buzzword of the day yeah. back in the 80s. What in the world is wrong with MVA? Mm -hmm. So I left for six months and uh, fell in love with the uh, policy, fell in love with the people, fell in love with the customers, and uh, stayed for 10 years. Six months quickly became 10 years. That so thanks correct. so much. And you also mm -hmm. served at the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators, which we'll hear a little bit about later from Ann. Um, yes. So thank you for that. And what are you up to now? Well, I'm, uh, I don't like to say I'm fully retired. Um, I think that... Uh, I'm easing into that position uh, slowly, but uh, um, I am uh, retired and still engaged. Great. Well, thank you so much again for taking your time to be here today. So, John, um, mm -hmm. you uh, have the the misfortune or honor, I don't know which way, of having <laughs> brought me into this organization. And I know I am personally very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. But I also know you've had a tremendous just state career before you even began, just similar to Marshall in that way. I wonder if you can just share a little bit about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, first, let me just say uh, it's my honor and privilege to be sitting here with uh, such great former administrators and, of course, the, the current one. And um, yes, absolutely. It's been um, an honor working with you and as well as Minister Chaffee, you know, who's uh, joined us by video conference. Um, and, um, but, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Just like uh, Mr. Ricker said, 
Um, I never dreamed about becoming motor vehicle administrator. Uh, I joined state service in 1982 and ultimately, you know, ended up, uh, you know, in various state agencies and then ended up at MVA in, I joined MVA in 1995. And, uh, and as, um, you know, as the former assistant director of then departmental services, mm -hmm. okay. Um, and now two years later, I actually left <laughs> MVA, okay. I left state service altogether and went to the Anne the County Board of Education. Okay, mm. um, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, doing that short time frame, Miss Miss Mrs. Farrell became the administrator. <laughs> you know, can we and, do Marshall and Ann? Uh, <laughs> and John yeah. and I already feel old. Oh, don't, please don't, because uh, we're right. I'm right there with you guys. All right, um, but uh, you know, but uh, we um, fortunately, uh, no, Administrator Farrell uh, and I stayed in touch while I was at Anne County Board of Education, and an opportunity came arose when she reopened organize the agency and uh, lo and behold you now the three four I think it was four months later <laughs> um, you know I rejoined MBA uh, and uh, and I became uh, her director of administration mm -hmm. <laughs> and, awesome. uh, and, um, and and obviously you know from there uh, I actually had the opportunity to become the chief deputy administrator ultimately uh, I ran operation field operations for a little while and uh, and then um, and then became the chief deputy administrator and um, like mr. Rickert you know story. Uh, one day, you know, during the um, Ehrlich, uh, Governor Ehrlich's administration, I was invited out to lunch by the Deputy Secretary of Transportation. Um, and that was an election year. Okay. And, um, and the former administrator, who is not here, not here with us today, uh, had just left the organization. And, um, and I thought, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, I was being invited out to lunch, and I've heard so, so many long stories about uh, how bad it is to be invited out to lunch with a deputy secretary. You know? <laughs> I thought that was going to be my uh, last day with the uh, organization. Uh, but uh, you know, before I knew it, uh, during the lunch hour, you know, um, you know, the deputy secretary actually asked if I would be uh, interested and uh, be able to take the helm of the MBA. Um, and um, no, I said, uh, well, let me talk to the boss. No, obviously the wife at home. And uh, within less than 24 hours, I called the deputy secretary and secretary back and said, yes, no, it'd be on my honor. <laughs> you know, so the rest is history. And we're um, all very and, grateful um, and, for that. Uh, and of yes. course, uh, you know, I had the opportunity, as you mentioned, uh, to bring you aboard the MVA when I became administrator. And um, and I just, I think that was a true honor for me to have you join uh, the team because you, know, you, you have been such a, you know, great, been such a great asset. Uh, and you continue to be a great asset to the state uh, and the transportation. So, well, thank you so yeah. much, John. Uh, it's been my pleasure to work with you <laughs> and to, with everybody here. Um, Anne, why don't you talk a little bit about, I mentioned American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators, and um, you're currently the CEO and president, but getting yeah. ready maybe to join Marshall in the uh, retirement world. And John, right? yeah, and Marshall, John, John and uh, Milton make it look so good. I am yeah. planning to retire at the end of September from uh, AMVA. Again, no acronyms, American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators, where I've had the benefit of serving for uh, nine years but really, I am in that role thanks to my time with the MBA. So back to Marshall Rickert's story, when I, when I, at some point early in my career, I joined the Maryland General Assembly as committee staff. I was the committee staff, sort of like legal counsel, but financial counsel to the House Ways and Means Committee, um, specializing in transportation taxes, education, funding, all that stuff. And Marshall Rickert was the Maryland administrator, and he would come sweeping in with Bill Hellman, who was the Secretary of Transportation, kind of a dream team. I mean, they would come sweeping into the hearing room, and it was like, man, that is the coolest group. You know, Missy 
Cassidy and Drew and uh, Dale. I mean, it was just this really amazing group of people. And I was like, that is the coolest group. Um, and when it came time for me to think about r managing, not managing process, but trying to gain experience managing people, I cast my net about and had the good fortune to get interviewed uh, by Marshall and Deputy Administrator Bill Long. Um, what a remarkable pair. And I remember Bill saying, uh, I would ask, I asked him about how challenging the role was. And he said, well, you know, you start each day uh, with the uh, highest set of goals and you do all what you can. And the end of the day, you just say, put it aside. I'm going to start again tomorrow because there is a never ending stream of challenges and excitement uh, in the MVA. And so when Marshall called and offered me the job, I as, pardon me, I interviewed for Associate Administrator of Vehicle Services, mm -hmm. and that was in 92. And that really shifted me from the legislative branch to the executive branch of government. Mm -hmm. um, when Marshall left, um, Ron Freeland became administrator, which was awesome. I actually had interviewed for the mm -hmm. role as well and uh, interviewed with the secretary, can't remember what. And a year later, Ron decided to move on to Ron Transportation Authority, I think. Right. And yes. I had the benefit of interviewing again. Governor Glenn Denning said, uh, why would I hire you? You seem to be part of the problem. Oh, you know, it's just this common theme in the yeah. MVA world. Yeah. There's always a something. And I, and I said, well, no, I'm part of the solution. We've got an awesome team there, and I'm part of the solution at the Maryland MVA. So anyway, I became administrator in 97, as you said, and, and uh, had the benefit of serving for seven years. Mm -hmm. I was uh, got the pink slip from Trenchcoat Man. Am I going too far? <laughs> we had a change of administration. Trenchcoat Man was representing then uh, 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 Secretary of uh, Appointments, uh, uh, Mr. Hogan. And I still have my letter being fired from the administration, signed by Governor Hogan. It makes me very proud because I think he's an awesome governor. I know this is not political, but um, that being said, I, uh, Governor Ehrlich changed his mind and I got to stay under Secretary Flanagan for a good year before I went on to run a trade association in Maryland, the Trucking, uh, trucking Association of Maryland Motor Trucks. So I have more to talk about and I won't. I just want to say that I had the, just a wonderful good fortune to come behind, really on the heels of Marshall Rickert uh, and Ron Freeland. And, uh, and, and meet Mill Chaffee and get John Quo back, too, at the same mm -hmm. time. So it was a wonderful time to be part of the MVA team. Well, that's a great segue, because I believe, Milt, that Anne was responsible for bringing you on board from the private sector. Isn't that right? That is correct. And it's kind of a funny story. It's not really funny, but in September 1, September 2, 2011, I had an interview scheduled with Anne that happened to be 9-11. And when I was getting ready, I was watching TV and I saw the plane crash because I was watching the news and I called the office and I remember talking to Annette and I said, you probably want to reschedule my appointment. I have an interview this morning. And they said, yes, we'll be back in touch with you. But the reason why I was coming to MVA was I said, you know, I work seven days a week in the private sector. At that time, I was the uh, director of operations for the Mid-Atlantic Division for KFC. And I just wanted to do something different. And I was really tired of the profit motive because you were never better than your last quarter when it came to P&Ls and making profit in the private sector. So I said, I'm going to do something different. I'll be able to go home every day at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and I'm going to go see what the state has to offer. And I replied to it. Um, 
and I saw in the paper. And after that, I interviewed a few times. I honestly loved the people. And I came in the job, and it was never a nine to five never. because I saw opportunities all along. I had the good fortune of really getting to know John well. And John kind of said, you know, I'm going to be moving to do this. I went on to do field operations, ended up being his chief deputy. And from there, went on to be administrator, which which is a great story because there was no one better to move into the chief deputy position other than Chrissy. And that's how I ended up moving on because after I was moved to the MDTA, Chrissy took over as an administrator. Mm -hmm. Pretty awesome. So great to hear that history. And um, I just think it's important to mention that there are almost 30 years of experience as administrator, not just your state service, which in and of itself is remarkable, mm -hmm. but as we all recognize being administrator, it's not an easy job, right? You thought getting away from that seven days a week, but it is a seven day a week, uh, sleepless night kind of job. Right. So uh, I just, just want to acknowledge the great yeah. service that mm -hmm. has happened with each and every one of you. And, and really thank you for that. So let's start there, right? Um, Marshall, and we'll kick it off with you just talking about, you know, the governor said we've got to fix, so the secretary said we've got to fix MBA. It's a common theme that we're hearing. Talk a little bit about what things were like at that time, you know, challenges, unfunded mandates. Give well, us a little it, perspective. It's, um, you know, uh, I, I put it this way. Uh, you needed three things to do your job. You needed a pencil, a piece of paper, and a card punch uh, machine for first generation data entry. Uh, and that's the level of data uh, mm. support at MVA in 1985. Uh, every piece of information had to be manually punched into a data card and transferred to data storage. And there was no business process automation, mm. nor anything like that. And MVA in Maryland was not unique. Uh, MVAs were the butt of everybody's uh, comedy uh, routine on TV and that sort of thing, uh, the stereotype rude uh, customer service experience, the stereotype long line, uh, the paper, uh, which wasn't a stereotype. Uh, we were drowning, just drowning in paper. Uh, what had complicated the environment in many of the MVAs uh, across the country was there were a whole raft of unfunded federal and state mandates that got dropped on the Motor Vehicle Administration to, uh, to do, to implement. Uh, two that were particularly difficult for the state of Maryland was compulsory uh, auto insurance yeah. enforcement, mm -hmm. which literally uh, required us to do a program of outreach to about 20% uh, of the drivers every year to verify whether or not they had insurance. Each outreach was a, an intrusion to the customer, number one. And uh, the second thing, um, uh, it required multiple interactions with motor vehicles to perfect the experience. And the second one, which was even worse, was vehicle emissions testing. Uh, that was a federal mandate that got dumped on the states and in many states with uh, uh, annual emission test requirements, it got dumped on motor vehicle administrators. 
Um, again, it was unfunded. There was no uh, process in place. There were no business rules in place. Uh, there were tight federal deadlines that uh, had no, uh, no bearing whatsoever on reality. And we used to joke in uh, our uh, sob sessions as peer-to-peer uh, -peer and other motor vehicle administrators, we counted how many lost their jobs trying to implement emission testing mm. because it was extremely unpopular and extremely intrusive mm. and very, very difficult to justify. So that was the environment that, uh, that I inherited and uh, most of my peers uh, in the country inherited in uh, 1985. Wow. And uh, I can go from there later uh, as to how we got started trying to overcome that situation. So really a testament to your leadership that during those very challenging times, you, you had those 10 years of service as Administrator Marshall and we're certainly grateful that you led the agency during that time. As I think about it though, that Premier Customer Service has ribbons throughout each of um, you as administrators and um, you put forward new initiatives and really each of those are foundational blocks to where we are today. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be where we are today as an organization without decisions that each and every one of you made that we've then taken and built upon as another layer and um, it really has yielded such wonderful results, but it's thanks to decisions you made. So maybe if you can start off, Marshall, and just hit on what are a few things that you did to address those challenges from a customer well, service standpoint? Well, the first thing um, uh, was uh, you know, the challenge of approaching a job with no tools. And, and I had a few tools, uh, I have to say. Number one, mm -hmm. if you're the finance guy for the organization, you know where all the money is hidden. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the uh, finance staff at MVA joked when I came from DOT, I came with a dowry because uh, <laughs> I certainly knew where the resources were. But we had uh, strong financial support and strong uh, support from the leadership, both uh, the secretary and the governor, yeah. to try to do something to improve uh, a pretty bad state of affairs at the time. Interestingly, um, the first day I was in the office, I got a phone call, and it was from my counterpart in Washington, D.C. His name was Bob Thompson, and he was an early leader and an early innovator in many, many ways, both for uh, the motor vehicle administrations, but also in AMVA. Mm -hmm. And Bob's told me, uh, he said, I'm gonna just give you one word of advice. He said, think of these people who are coming in angry and upset, or however they are, as customers. Mm -hmm. And he said, try to instill in the staff that the people that they are interacting with every day are customers and try to treat them the way you would like to be treated if you were a customer in some day-to-day -day activity that you go through. And that, of course, uh, 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 really was uh, embodied trying to help change the culture of the organization. And we went a long way with that. Uh, uh, we went uh, uh, through all of our training. We built up uh, employee morale. We didn't have any money. We started recognition programs. At the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators, I was in uh, a, a leadership uh, volunteer position. 
And one of the things we did was start an affiliate group for customer service. And their topics of discussion at all of the regional and annual conferences were ways that you can improve your, your service to the customer. That also was a great way to involve the, the uh, private sector partners of MVA because many of them had new and exciting customer uh, facing uh, applications and practices that they wanted to show us. So it, it brought about a lot of idea sharing, which we will certainly be expounding on more today. Um, and you helped establish the express offices and went yes, to two-year registration yes. renewal. These are really well, uh, yeah, the, significant changes. The, yeah, the, the, the probably, the, you know, uh, the most important things that I think we were able to accomplish basically was doing more with, with less. And we started uh, a very, very directed program of reducing the number of times that customers had to interact with the Motor Vehicle Administration. The year I, I took office, vehicle registration for the entire Maryland fleet took place in one month. You can imagine uh, two and a half million customers, most of whom were coming in person mm -hmm. to a, a, a rundown MVA office or to a headquarters or a county treasurer's office going through uh, the hassle of waiting in hours long lines and renewing registration. And just that example, we went two years later as part of our first generation automation of registration to staggering it every month of the year. So all of a sudden, your transaction volume on a monthly basis has been cut by 12. And imagine just the numbers impact that that had. And then years later, we took vehicle registration and we went to biennial registration mm -hmm. so that the customer only had to interface once every other year. Um, the second thing that I, that I really feel uh, may have been helpful to my uh, successors was uh, we inherited the data <laughs> center for the entire Maryland Department of Transportation mm -hmm. and uh, we decentralized the process of managing data requirements and uh, system development and, uh, and that sort of thing out to the motor, motor vehicle administrations so that there wasn't one organization that was prioritizing a major state highway administration automation project with a motor vehicle project or an aviation project or such. And we also incorporated uh, program management at the secretary's level over the major data processing programs and priorities. And then we migrated to an IBM platform, which at that time was essential because there were starting to be COTS uh, products and programs, uh, particularly early uh, point of sale. Mm -hmm. that if you had an IBM-based background, you could take advantage of. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, I think what we tried to do was, was make the transaction experience as easy for the customer as we possibly could with the tools we had mm -hmm. and try to position uh, 
MVA for the future, the very exciting future that uh, I was, I've had the pleasure of watching all of you uh, move forward with Motor Vehicle Administrations. That's great. IT is so fundamental. So those decisions, those early decisions in terms of moving to um, the IBM mainframe and, and really set us up for um, success in terms of many years, but we continued to use it into our modernization just recently. Right. So that's so important. And you followed after it. I know employee yeah. engagement was important to you as well as Marshall. Well, yeah, before I get to that, I mean, it was so critical. You can hear how Marshall built on Bob Thompson's concept about the customer. And Marshall really was, uh, he and Bob were novel in that space. That was not an automatic. I can't tell you how many people fought it saying, no, they're not customers. <laughs> You know, they're just, they're citizens, they're not customers. They, it's just a whole different concept. But Marshall's work in that space is something that I had the opportunity to continue to build on. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it allowed us also to further open up the acknowledgement and recognition that employees of the MVA are so focused on service delivery and customers that to a person, all anybody really wants to do is be able to help people. Mm -hmm. And if we can continue to build on this concept of serving customers, um, and enabling employees to be helpful in every way they can. And if they can't get to a certain level on resolving a problem, have a supervisor who knows how to help them and support respectfully mm -hmm. taking it to the next level. It's just this constant building of let's treat this as a as truly a professional, customer-focused, um, um, kind of employee-led um, delivery system. But I, I also want to highlight, you know, Marshall, I think you also uh, introduced the consolidated uh, call center out in Western Maryland. Yes. So, I mean, there are just so many things we build on today that really came from Marshall's tenure in the organization. And one thing that happened during that time when I was still with the Maryland General Assembly's committee staff, um, we used to have transportation funding bills every seven years or so, seven to 10 years, and uh, included in the transportation funding bill probably in 91 or 92, 92, was funding for MVA. Every one of your fees is in regulation. Mm -hmm. Uh, or in statute, I should say. Every one of your fees was in statute and impossible to change. And so um, there was a consolidation of fees into a cost recovery concept mm -hmm. that has been hard to implement, but it enabled uh, MVA to adjust fees once the dowry man left. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the constant effort to say, how do we fund these things? How do we take advantage of this capital improvement concept and roadways but take it into the technology and data space, which is where MVA resides, mm -hmm. and turn it into a capital improvement of a system mm -hmm. and a network so that MVA would also be eligible for capital improvement funds. Okay. And at the time, we were not for investment into our infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And our infrastructure, we always just say, it wasn't just bricks and mortars. Our future rests in technology. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be able to invest in it. So, of course, you know, with a procurement genius like John, we were able to recruit him back. Um, we were able to really take that yeah. and and build on what Marshall started. I mean, it was just uh, it is it's just so exciting to talk about how we build on each other's work and what Marshall created really led to where we are today in the in this space. Well, one of the things yeah. I want to jump on uh, because Anne was deeply involved in this uh, in her her previous employment with the uh, Maryland General Assembly is once they see a fee or, or a tax or anything, yeah. the natural political reaction is, oh good, how can I get some of that? <laughs> and part of that fight was also ensuring that that money was dedicated. Yeah. And it was dedicated to the Maryland Transportation Trust Fund. Uh, it was calculated 
uh, in the fees other than the registration and titling fees were cal uh, calculated to cover the costs of the Motor Vehicle Administration as part of the department budgeting process. So not only were we able to, uh, to, to get that revenue base, but Ann had the fight with, uh, with her uh, customers, uh, her elected uh, <laughs> delegates and senators to make sure that that was earmarked. Yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think again, that acknowledgement that MVA is not a cash cow for the department. MVA is, is the front door to service for government. And, and that starts with all of our employees, right? I mean, Milt comes out of the customer service space. That's why we were so excited to be able to recruit Milt. Um, mm -hmm. We waited for him for several months, by the way. He said, I'd like to, but I can't come until next year. I said, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. Because it was September. I know we're... When I came on board, it was just natural for me to think about customers all the time. And even though I was in administrative services, the best time I had was riding with John because he was in field operations and I'd get to go out to the branch because I knew the best way to get the legislative people and the governor and everybody to be on our side was to make customers happy. And I, the quicker we could do that, the quicker we could show them improvement every time they came in, the better off we would be. So that was really my focus. And when I got an opportunity to be in charge of field operations, that's when I really got fired up. And we started measuring wait times more specifically and posting it. And, you know, actually the, the service times each individual was doing with their customers, the average. That's when we started really making progress with the customers. Not to mention that bus that showed up. I know, I was going to say. The bus. The bus, getting the bus over the mountain. It was pretty amazing. You know, and again, just a little bit more in the employee space, Milt really uh, remind. I mean, our whole focus to be sure we're, we're the employees who had the ultimate stake in how we did each day had a fundamental and a foundational stake in how we did it and what we did. And so, you know, just that concept of employee engagement, I'm sure I didn't use the engagement term. Um, Marshall just used it before when he said, and I'm still engaged in this uh, community. <laughs> But clearly, from the development of our homegrown strategic framework, remember we built our strategic plan. Mm -hmm. We turned that pyramid on its side and said, "Truly, Amva is being, you know, our, 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 we are judged by by who's in the front." And um, and David Green uh, led the effort. It was a very much a homegrown effort to create our strategic plan. But that included ensuring that our employees had a professional growth path. Customer service representatives didn't always have a space to grow. And we have some very talented people who may be talented te technically, but not necessarily from a management space. Mm -hmm. And so trying to create a double track, trying to improve pay, mm -hmm. uh, at least to be comparable within the Department of Transportation, um, just trying to acknowledge that role that as a, as a community of employees, we were in this together. And I, I will just flag real quickly one thing I meant to bring, but I didn't. Uh, I've, I've got stacks of them. I've got a stack that I have saved, which are um, uh, magazines that we created called Artistic License. We, I love the twist on word. Mm -hmm. We had an artist in-house, Nelson Taylor, who is a very talented artist. I mean, mm -hmm. I've got some of his artwork as well at home, but that's kind of started. And we had a, a group of employees that met um, uh, as, uh, what's the speaking group that always, uh, Toastmasters. Toastmasters. And as you know, I sort of came to learn that we just have some really talented storytellers, poets, artists, mm -hmm. and of course, performers.
and uh, with Nelson's, with uh, Nelson Taylor's help and, and a number of other employees, we created a monthly or quarterly magazine with folks' poetry and nice. work. Again, it's just as a reflection of who we are because we're people first. Exactly. We're people first. We are, we are workers second. And we just care about what we do. So anyway, that, I mean, it was, a, it, was, it was just a sort of constant theme of building our, the strength Definitely. of our team. And obviously, Milt and John and you all carried it. And I just built it because everybody loved Marshall when he walked through. And I thought, we got to <laughs> keep this, uh, each person's <laughs> respect uh, for each other and for our customers mattering to how we do our work so definitely yeah. i have to say i i learned so much from those car rides that milt mentioned yeah. um, once i came on board and was fortunate enough to sit there and just hear the experiences and what had happened before and really i feel like i was uh it was a not only a lesson in history but a lesson in leadership and and how to run an organization whether you knew it or not that you were preparing me for john talk about some of those tired decisions i mean milt had that focus on the customer and mm -hmm. accountability and looking at stats, which frankly, that wasn't a priority. It wasn't something the agencies focused on back then. And right. you made some tough decisions about how do we move things to alternative services mm -hmm. during a challenging yeah. environment that mm -hmm. you had to deal with. So yeah. talk about some of that. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great question, Chrissy. And uh, I think uh, first, let me just say to the credit of uh, former Administrator Farrell and former Administrator Rickard, uh, they really did lay the, you know, the you know, foundational building blocks for this organization, you know, both from the standpoint of process as well as you know, information technology. And uh, when, when we each assumed the role as administrator, uh, we just needed to basically continue to build and evolve utilizing the latest technology that's available. Obviously, back in the 80s, technology was, you know, uh, very different than today, obviously. Uh, so when we took over, we wanted to deploy the latest technology. Now, well, one other thing that we did focus on, obviously, was the processes that we yeah. had to engage in. Mm -hmm. uh, we've always preached, as all of us as former administrators and current administrators, uh, we've always preached that we've got to maintain a constant balance of three S's, mm -hmm. right? And you know what that is. Service, safety, and security. Okay, and to our customers uh, and residents of this state, right? They could care less about the other two S's. They cared about service. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the opportunities I have is, uh, and I continue to do this to this day, is to guest lecture at University of Maryland College Park uh, to a, an executive uh, MBA group mm -hmm. uh, students. And uh, one of the things I talk about is uh, my former tenure as at the MBA. And uh, the first question I asked uh, these group of students, MBA students, is uh, what do you think the MVA does? Okay. Yeah. And everyone's got to raise their hands. And then I said, well, you should issue driver licenses or you do vehicle registrations. Very good. Okay. What else do we do? Okay. Okay. Uh, the M motor vehicle law book is what, over 1,200 pages mm -hmm. long, probably longer now. <laughs> okay. um, and uh, we have to <laughs> adhere and obviously enforce everything in that law book. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the MBA regulates and licenses all the dealerships in the state. Really? Okay, I wasn't aware of that. And we even licensed the salespeople that work for those dealerships, mm -hmm. okay? So those students were just enlightened when we talk about those kind of things. What else do you think the MBA does, okay? Mm, once one, one MBA student said, vehicle emissions, okay? Yeah. Very good, okay? <laughs> okay, what else do we do, okay? 
nobody in the class was aware that we also license and regulate the driving schools in the state. Okay, and uh, those are just kind of something examples that uh, you know I can go on and on uh, and, and and talk about what we are required to do as a as a mm -hmm. uh, state mandate mm -hmm. uh, to issue driver licenses and register vehicle you know, register vehicles in the state. And one thing's constant in in the in, in the MBA business, and that is the population of the state continues to grow. Mm -hmm. Okay, and resources are not. So we had to th work and think smartly mm -hmm. and think of smarter solutions to deliver this service to the growing population of the state. Mm -hmm. So with the foundation laid from, from the former administrators, mm -hmm. Farrell and Rickard, we just need to continue to evolve the technology that we had available at the time you know, that uh, we were each uh, at the helm. Um, and we also decided to focus on processes, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, as you know, each and every year, um, aside from federal mandates, unfunded federal mandates that we'll talk about a little later, Federal Real ID Act, uh, there are various uh, you know, legislation that are initiated that imposes additional processes on the MBA. And you know this as well as all the other administrators in this room, you know, we sometimes have to go down to the state legislature and voice our uh, objections uh, to those proposed legislation that imposes additional processes because the service and, 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 and uh, that we have to deliver you know, goes up against these processes that we have to implement. Right. Every new requirement imposed on the MBA goes against that cut shorter customer service time that we have to deliver across the counter. OK, so that brings me to you know, what we had to do. Uh, one of the things that we uh, under uh, my tenure under Governor, um, Governor Martin O'Malley, uh, we had to engage in a process called state stat <laughs> meetings, monthly state stat meetings. Uh, and this is where uh, basically uh, all the uh, heads of every uh, you know, state agency are, uh, are, has to report down to Annapolis you know, in front of the governors uh, in a state stat committee. Sometimes the governor's there himself, okay? Um, and most of the time it's run by the, uh, obviously the governor's state stat uh, director. And uh, basically you're basically, uh, lack of a better way of describing this, you're being grilled on meeting, making progress on a re routine, regular monthly basis. Uh, and if you're doing well, sometimes you get a reprieve and you get, you know, you get to go bi-monthly. Okay? <laughs> For the MBA, as we all talked about here, uh, it's all about customer service. You know, and each and every governor all hears, uh, all hear from their obviously uh, constituency, and uh, they're all concerned about uh, you know the uh, longer wait times, uh, and we, we continue to want to work the shorten wait times. So one particular state staff <laughs> meeting, I believe you were there, and you were there too, Milt. <laughs> um, I think the governor was present. And, um, and basically, you know, I said, why are you not making a, no, you've got online transactions available. You've got self-service kiosks. You've got mail-in renewals. You've got IVR, interactive voice response yeah. phone systems available right. for vehicle registrations. Why aren't more people using it? Okay. And, um, and we looked at each other and, um, I muttered a, uh, I think a kind of a, kind of a, you know, a beat around the bush type response. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's hard to change the customer behavior okay. because our customers simply just like to, when the, let's face it, you know, when you receive your vehicle registration right. renewal notice or driver's license renewal notice, most of us, most customers kind of put it on the side. Oh, I got time because we mail it 
two months ahead of time before the expiration. And by the time you know they realize, oh, maybe, oh, it's only a few days left before expiration. I better walk into the MBA office, you know, brick and mortar. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's what c- contributes to longer wait times at MBA branch offices. Yeah. Another thing that uh, I always found to be a challenge to explain to an elected official mm-hmm. asking the question, mm-hmm. why isn't everybody doing it? Right. You have to remind the elected official and everybody else, we are not all alike. Mm-hmm. And the customer base of the Motor Vehicle Administration is a complete cross-section of the population. Right. And in that population are uh, automation adverse people, mm-hmm. elderly people who uh, are less uh, inclined to, uh, to seek uh, new ways to do things. There's a very large population of unbanked people, mm-hmm. and unbanked people don't have the benefit of writing a check or uh, accessing a computer to pay. Right. They are on a cash basis. And we have a large population of people who can't just put it aside till the next mm-hmm. checkbook. They are putting it aside to deal with as they're trying to deal with getting enough groceries. Mm-hmm. So there is a, an, uh, a structural, um, I don't want to use the word obstacle, but there's a structural uh, uh, challenge mm-hmm. to, to, as far as getting more people to take advantage of right. automation because mm-hmm. of this base of people who for many different reasons simply can't mm-hmm. take advantage of it. Right. I think that's a great entry mm-hmm. because right. kiosks, which were implemented previously, mm-hmm. became the vehicle through which you were able Absolutely. to get a policy yes. change yeah. from the governor. You want right. to talk a little bit about that, John? Absolutely. I think Marshall makes a great point because uh, those were the considerations mm-hmm. that uh, we had to engage in uh, right. before we changed our policies. Okay. Right. Uh, and uh, responding back to the governor during that state staff meeting, you know, when he asked the question, why can't you get more people moved, you know, moved over to these automated transactions? instead of walking into a physical MBA branch office. And uh, you know, we didn't have an immediate answer right there uh, because we had to go back and then come back. At, uh, we came back at the next state staff mm-hmm. meeting, read, armed with the answer. We didn't need to change the law. Right. We didn't need to even promulgate new regulations. It was just a simple, straightforward policy change. Mm-hmm. It was about changing customer behavior. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we looked at the fragment of the different population fragments that you mentioned, Marshall, regarding who can't u- utilize automated transactions, who doesn't have a comu- access to a computer, so on and so forth. And we found that you know, the vast majority of our customers, at least 80%, have access. So why aren't 80% of our customers you know, not walking into the MBA branch office? We had to change customer behavior by, by making it mandatory that you cannot get a physical product over the counter mm-hmm. unless you utilize our automated systems. Okay, so that's when you know Chrissy, Milt, you know you were both there. Uh, we did, made that decision. We reported the governor, and, uh, and the governor, on the spot during that state staff meeting, to go forward. Mm-hmm. You know, do what you need to do to get this implemented. Mm-hmm. So we came back and obviously drew up the plans, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. And, uh, as, and I think today, you know, even uh, you, uh, you, uh, in, in your you know, vehicle registration renewal notices that you mail out, driver license renewal, if you can do it through these automated systems, online, by mail, by phone, so on and so forth, you know, 
you're not going to be able to get a physical product you know, over the counter when you walk That's into right. the MBA branch office. And the benefits so, yield right. today, to your point, and mm -hmm. um, last year our alternative service delivery percentage was 76%. Absolutely. 76% of transactions were done through mm -hmm. alternative means outside of that traditional customer agent right. um, and customer interaction. So that mm -hmm. is the building blocks that we referenced earlier mm -hmm. to where Absolutely. we are today. Absolutely. And, and th th that continues to be the, something that you continue to focus on, obviously, in terms of uh, driving you know, driving more customers towards that automation um, and uh, and then with the uh, you know when we you know, when we were uh, you know running the MVA together you know uh, we also had to implement the federal real ID act yes. <laughs> which I'm sure we'll talk we'll about talk a little bit more about, about that so. going forward Let's about stick with customer service. <laughs> I mean Milt brings such an experience from his right. private sector background one important thing was we were doing this without advertising dollars one right. thing that I was used to in the private sector, if we wanted to change behavior or get people to really see something, we used to advertise the hell out of it. And we'd spend the money on television, radio, and now it would be social media. And we would get the word out and people would understand and it would drive different behavior. We didn't have that. And talk a little bit, Milt, about we had that wait time numbers right online, right? Uh -huh. That was yes. something you all did from a transparency standpoint, mm -hmm. which is great, but it also gave a lot of visibility. So I remember some of those inquiries directly from the governor. Why is XYZ yes. branch office so high, right? right. So the, the numbers were great in that they were tool, but also really made it quite visible to everybody. Yeah, but it, it did give us a chance to show progress every state stat meeting. And that was the great thing about state stat. Even though the governor's staff would never admit it, I don't think until much later, that we had more stats and more information than any other agency in the state. And we had process. Yeah, Mel, you make a Mel, you make an excellent point because uh, you might recall that we were the, actually the pilot agency mm -hmm. for in, uh, for launching state SAT mm -hmm. for right. Governor Martin yes, O'Malley. That's right. <laughs> because we had the data, and uh, they wanted to use us uh, as an example that uh, would be by utilizing by, uh, using data driven uh, numbers, uh, they could measure the progress of a state uh, state level agencies like ourselves. Mm -hmm. you know, so. So just for perspective, because, you know, I think it's important as we think about these transitions, we went back and looked at what are the wait time goals for fiscal year 2012. Just for reference, that was about as far back as we could find. The goal was 40 minutes. Now, 2012. Fiscal wow, year 2012. Really? So we know that the goals often are set higher than wow. or, you know, lower than we're able to achieve. Our actual wait time achieved last fiscal year, which just ended obviously the end of June, was 7.5 minutes. Amazing. Wow. And really, really the last wild. four to five months, less than six minutes, wow. right? Um, as we refine Customer Connect and our new IT yeah. system, and mm -hmm. the employees get um, even more proficient at that. So it's amazing. All of these decisions, all these choices, all these investments have led to where we are today. And so I just hope you're all um, really proud of that because we couldn't do what we do today with without that. That'll wrap up this Conversations with Chrissy. Please stay tuned for the continuation of the conversation on our next episode.